Just a note from Pam, and uh, I appreciate Pam Compton, and uh, her mother passed away a couple weeks ago. She said, Dear Crossroads family, thank you for all the lovely flower arrangements, especially the love and prayers that I truly felt at my mom's passing. I'm doing well, and I know that mom is in the presence of our Lord. I've never loved a church family as much as I love my Crossroads family. Thank you, love, Pam. Thank you for that beautiful card. We appreciate that, Pam. And uh, pray the Lord just continues to bring healing to you. So many people went home to be with the Lord just in a, in a week or so. In fact, uh, as you know, Andrew Davis, uh, who has never missed church, always over here on the right-hand side, fell in... And lost consciousness, but then he died suddenly because when he hit his head, he had a, a major brain bleed, and uh, he uh, went home to be with the Lord. And Pastor Brad did the, the, the funeral service. It was a beautiful service, and uh, his wife Joan uh, is left with so much, and, and they don't have a lot of money. And I, if you're here, I've asked Brother Rex if you put some trays out. If you'd like to just help Joan, a member of our church, and. Uh, Luke and Davis uh, and Reba, they're all family of our church. If you'd like to just drop something in to help that family on the way out this morning, I'd appreciate that so very much. And we just want them to know we love them and we're praying for them. Yes, yes, Brother Luke. Wow. Well, we'll definitely be praying, and thank you, Luke, for being here today, and our, our prayers are with you. Yeah, you took good care of your daddy, and, and uh, I just really loved your father. He was a wonderful man. I loved teaching him in, also in Bible study. It's a tremendous man. So just if you think about them this morning, I'd appreciate that so, so very much. You don't mind if I sit a little bit this morning, do you? Thank you. Okay, thanks. I, I was thinking this morning, this is our last Sunday, we're preaching on the, the family, and uh, I wanted to speak to you on the subject of designing a godly family. I have people often ask me, especially younger men, and they always ask me, and they say, Preacher, um, how, do you, how do you build a Christian family? H- how do you develop a Christian family? And, uh, and that's, that's a tremendous question to ask. And there's a lot to it. But this morning, I want to speak to everyone here today about designing a godly family. You can be a grandparent here, and you can have a great impact for your family uh, and for your grandkids. And if you're a mom and dad here, I encourage you, even if your kids are growing or growing out, uh, I want to encourage you that you can also have a tremendous impact in their life. But I, I want to use this text this morning in Joshua 24, verse 15, because I believe it's the most pertinent and it's the most powerful text that that helps us understand how we can establish a tremendous Christian family. Joshua 24, 15 says this, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? This is what Joshua said. But as for me and my family, but as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit, the one who enlightens us, the Holy One of God. Lord, I pray that may the Holy Spirit shed light on our hearts and souls, and may we receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, anoint us now as we read the Word of God. Lord, I pray may the Word of God shape our thoughts and minds, and may we be just like you, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to know you in a greater and a greater intimate way. And Father, we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all that is said and done in this place. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. I want to begin with Charles uh, Chuck Swindoll, who wrote this statement. I, I want to read it to you. And he said this, whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life. The anvil upon which the attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where all of life's bills come due. The single most influential force in our earthly existence. And how true. In fact, how true it is. However, however else may be said about the home. In this day and time, this world downplays the value of the home. In fact, we don't realize the kind of world our children face each day and how things have changed. Kids in the 1930s grew up during the Depression when times were hard and everyone had to work hard and a dollar then was a lot of money. Kids in the 1940s grew up with World War II and Frank Sinatra. That was their life. Kids in the 50s, that, I'm a 50 child. Kids in the 50s grew up with black and white TV. In fact. I didn't even know there was a TV. We, we used to listen to the radio. And then later on, my dad brought a TV home, and we were like, wow, we were living in the future. Black and white. I remember little slogans called, I like Ike, if you were in the 1950s. You remember that? Some of you are like, who in the world is Ike? I think his last name was Eisenhower. He was the president. He was the president. Kids today don't even know who in the world he is. I, Ike Eisenhower, he was the president when I, was, when I was born. And I know someone here told me the other day that Abraham Lincoln was their president. <laughs> Back in the 1950s, hula hoops were really big. Remember that? I'd like to try that now. And then we used to listen to a little kid from Tupelo, Mississippi, this guy named Elvis Presley. Remember that? Kids who grew up in the 1960s grew up with the Beatles, LSD, assassinations, the summer of love, Vietnam, violence in the streets. Kids in the 1970s grew up with Charlie's Angels, Disco, Happy Days, and MASH, and Saturday Night Fever, and the Doobie Brothers. Remember them guys? And then kids in the 1980s grew up with crack cocaine, AIDS, MTV, uh, Pee Wee Herman, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Nintendo, and Nightmare on Elm Street. That was the 1980s. And then come the era of the 1990s. They, they, kids grew up with The Simpsons, and Friends, and Seinfeld, and Michael Jordan, and Monica Lewinsky, and rap music, and Nirvana. And then in the 2000s, kids grew up with 9-11, the war on terror, American Idol, Harry Potter, South Park, MySpace, Hannah Montana. And then kids today are growing up with Lady Gaga, believe it or not, Drake, iPhones, 
cell phones, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, sexting, and gay marriage. Our kids see more. Our kids know more. They experience more, and they grow up so fast. It's amazing the world as time flies, how our children in this generation are facing enormous challenges. And we ask ourselves, in such a decadent day in which we live, how in the world can I bring up a godly Christian family? Against that reality, these words of Dr. James Dobson strikes home. We must make the salvation of our children our number one priority. And may I say this, nothing else is more important than your children and your grandchildren know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, intimately as their God and as their Savior. Nothing. Nothing is more important. Joshua is way up in age. Death is right around the corner in his life. He understood the power of parenting. And as he comes to the end of his life, he, he calls the leaders of Israel together for one final message. Knowing he is only just moments away from death, he sounds a call to the renewal that begins with a recital of God's blessing in the past. And then he challenges the people to be faithful to God. And in the middle of his message, we find those stirring words that have been quoted and memorized for over 3,000 years. As for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord. He encouraged his, his leaders. He encouraged the people of Israel. I want you to serve the Lord. And in those words, and in the verses leading up to them, I find three actions that we've got to, that we must make if we want our families to serve the Lord with us. I found this as a pastor. I, I can't make people serve the Lord. I can't make people love God. The only thing I can do is live under the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God myself and pray that God uses my example and uses my influence, as imperfect as it is, to use me to impact the lives of others around me. That's all I have. All you have as a parent is influence. You can tell your child, you have to do this, or you have to do that, or you can tell a teenager, this is what they need to do. But the greatest impact that will affect a child's life is when they see Jesus in you, and they see the love of the Lord in you, and they see the love of God in you, and your devotion to the Lord, and your faithfulness to Him, because that is what changes their life. When they begin to see that, that it's not a matter of just cold religion to you and with you, it is a matter of a personal walk with Jesus Christ and when they see that you're the real deal and they see you pray and they see you praise God in the sanctuary of his saints and they see that that you love at home as well as you love at church when they see that you are a true genuine follower of Jesus Christ someone says well what is a Christian a Christian is a mini-Christ. 
A Christian is a person who said, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to walk in his footsteps, and I'm going to walk in his ways. I'm going to embrace the word of God. I'm going to let the word of God dwell deeply in me, and I, I want to be as much and like Jesus as I possibly can. The greatest impact in your life is when you say, as for me and my house, I, I choose to serve the Lord. There are three actions that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, and that is keep the testimony of God's grace before your family. Keep the testimony of God's grace before your family. As Joshua recounts the story of the conquest of the promised land, he reminds them of what the Lord had done for them. And this is what he said in in verses 11 through 13 in Joshua 24. And and this is what the Lord said to him. And and you went over the Jordan and you came to Jericho and, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of their vineyards and their olive orchards that you did not plant. In other words, God is saying, I'm the one that has blessed you. I'm the one that gave you the power to receive wealth. I'm the one that has blessed you with health. I am the one that has lifted you up. I'm the one that has brought you to salvation. I'm the one that has brought deliverance to you as the people of God. Whatever you do, do not forget the blessings of God. If you want your family to acknowledge the greatness of God, then speak of what God has done for you. Speak about it. Talk about it. Brag about Jesus. Tell your kids, I once was a sinner bound and going to hell. Once I was bound by the the mires of sin and the cords of sin, and I was in a place of darkness. I didn't know my right hand from my left, but then I heard the message that Jesus loved me in my sin. Oh, I was deeply stained with sin, seeking to rise no more. Then I heard the master of the sea. He called my name, washed me in his blood, birthed me into his family. And now I stand as a child of the king. I thank God for his salvation. Speak of the blessing of God. Talk about the time when you lost your job and you didn't have the finances to pay bills. You didn't have the finances to make it. And oh, how God When you sought the Lord and you begin to pray and how God supernaturally brought money your way that that you never thought about or never planned and it was God that helped you. Talk to your kids about one time when you were sick and when you had a disease or when there were problems in your own personal life, how God healed you from your disease. Talk about, praise God, rehearse all of the wonderful things that God has done. And that's what God is telling Joshua to tell his leaders. If you want to have a a godly home, then speak of the great things the Lord has done and give him the praise and give him the glory that is due to his holy name. May God's people in the house of God open their tongues and praise him and worship him for all that he has done. 
Praise be his name. Give the Lord a praise in his house today. He is here. Praise him. Worship him. Magnify him. Lift him up. Joshua wants the people never to forget they owed everything to God. After all, the Israelite army had won battle after battle and often routing out the enemy from the field. And it would be natural for them to begin to think, well, I'm somebody special. Look how great I am. But that thought is always deadly. You see, Joshua knew that once the people took credit for their victories, they soon would backslide and become filled with pride. Walk humbly before the Lord. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how many blessings God has dumped on you. Stay humble before the Lord. Humble yourself mightily behind, b- before him. Lift him up and praise him and give him the credit. Has God blessed you? Talk often about it to your kids. He ought to do with our families what Joshua does with the people of Israel. It's a good thing to review the past blessings and to make a written record of God's faithfulness. So make much of the faithfulness of God in your home. Number two, teach your family to fear the Lord. The second action, Joshua 24, 14, now fear the Lord, is what he said. When we think about the word fear, or the term, the fear of the Lord, many people get the idea of cringing and terror. The biblical concept is much broader than that. Fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect for God that we want to please Him in everything that we do. You see, fearing the Lord refers to an inner devotion that causes us to honor God. How do we share this inner devotion with our families? And may I say that it's more than just platitudes and quick cliches. It is more of an atmosphere of spirit than a program. It's not a to-do list. When parents truly fear the Lord, their children will learn to fear him too. You see, when parents love the Lord, it will be natural for children to love him too. When parents sing songs and worship songs about Jesus, their children will learn to to sing songs of praise to the Lord also. And when you pray, your children will pray, and they'll watch you as you pray. It is true. A family's faith is better caught than taught. Men bear a heavy responsibility in this area. And I'm speaking to dads and husbands and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and uncles. And as I've pastored over these years, far too many years, I have noticed many men have delegated spiritual leadership to the women while we go out and just make money. And somehow we've laid a burden on women to just lead spiritually. We've depended on a woman's perspective of spiritual things instead of digging deep in the scripture ourselves and getting in the presence of God and asking for his help. You see, God meant spiritual leadership to be a shared burden, but the men must take the initiative if we truly want God's blessing. That's why we started Iron Men at our church. Because I got convicted 
that we need to do much to encourage men to be men spiritually in their homes, as well as being physical leaders. Recently, I saw a famous painting by Norman Rockwell. It appeared on the cover of a 1959 Saturday Evening Post. And as I looked at that picture and I thought to myself, wow, way back in 1959, I was only four years old then, it shows a suburban family going to church, led by the oldest sister, followed by the mom and then a youngest sister, and then way in the back as they are going out of the house to church, all dressed with Bibles in hand, there's a little boy trailing behind. And as this little boy is following his sisters and his mom going to church, he's looking over to his left and he sees dad in his pajamas on a Sunday morning reading a newspaper with a cigarette in his hand, totally slouched down, disconnected. And you could look at the face of the little boy that Norman Rockwell tried to pick up, and that is that little boy wanted to stay and be with his daddy. But that little boy was learning a lesson because that little boy was learning that on Sunday morning, that was daddy's day, not the Lord's day. And may I say this, on Sunday morning, this is the Lord's day. My dad used to say, if you sleep in this house on Sunday morning, you're going to be in God's house on Sunday morning. And it was just understood. Sunday is the Lord's day. We need men that will stand to the occasion and be the spiritual influence. We need men to take leadership in prayer. We have a men's group of guys every Sunday morning get together and pray, and they pray for me. Lord, I need prayer. I appreciate it. We have a handful, a group of men, but we need 40 or 50 men or maybe 100 men. What, what would this church be like if 100 men decided to get together once or twice a week and just pray down the fires of heaven, pray for a national revival, pray for a Cecil County revival, Bear County revival, pray for revival. What would it be? God, give us men. And then when we learn that our actions speak louder than our words, it will then impact our family. And thirdly, make a decision to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we will, we will, we will serve. We will serve the Lord. This is one of the most famous statements in the Old Testament, and rightly so because it expresses the heart of a great spiritual leader at the end of his life. In these simple words, we find the will of God expressly stated. We are to serve the Lord. We are to do everything in our power to see that our family follows our example. Matthew Henry, a great commentary of the scripture, said that, the, that serving the Lord involves, I like this, serious godliness. The phrase captures the spirit of Joshua's words. If we're going to do 
what he did. And if we're going to say what Joshua said, it means I will be serious about godliness. I'm going to take it serious. We need a generation of Joshua's. First, each of us must personally decide to serve the Lord, men and women. Someone says, well, I'm concerned about my family. Once you drive the stake down and say, I'm going to serve the Lord, I'm going to be faithful to his house. I'm going to tithe and give to the Lord's work. I'm going, to, I'm going to build up the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to do everything in my life just to lead the way and to make a difference in, in my community, in my family, in my marriage, in my life. Secondly, parents have a special obligation to set the right example in this area. We can hardly expect our children to serve Christ when we take our duties so lightly. Thirdly, fathers have the highest obligation. There's a heavy burden implied in those words. If it's true that the apple never falls far from the tree, then I better make sure the tree is healthy or else what will the fruit be like? Some of you are sitting here and say, well, my kids are all grown up. They're out of the house now. It's too late. I have a word of hope for you. You say, my kids, they don't even know the Lord. My grandkids don't have a chance because they live in a, a home that is without God. They never darken the door of the church. They're using language that's, and I'm just frustrated. May I say to you today, you have a power. You have leverage like you've never had before. You can choose to serve the Lord right now. And secondly, you can choose to use the greatest weapon to get into the heart of a man, and that is prayer. Jesus said this. It's an interesting text. He says, you have not because you ask not. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. I believe this with all my heart. If you come to the place where you don't have the leverage, if you'll make up your mind to pray for your child three or four times a day, and you ask God to break through their consciousness, break through their thinking, Maybe they're at work. Maybe they're driving a car down the road. But break into their consciousness and remind that child that they need the Lord. Remind my son. Remind my daughter. Remind my in-law child. Lord, I pray, speak to them right now. Lord, minister to them. Now, we know that when you pray, you've got to pray in the will of God. It is God's will for your children and your grandchildren to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That is God's will. Amen? 
If you pray five times a day that God would send a specific message into the heart of your child that maybe doesn't know the Lord or is far from God, God will send that message into the heart of your child, and God will begin to speak on that on the heart of that child. And when you take your child before the throne room of God in prayer, it is then that God will do his greatest work. And if you think seven days a week, if you pray five times a day, specifically, not a long prayer, just a specific prayer, five times seven, that's 35 times a week that God has ministered to your child's heart. You can stand back and praise God for the faith that you've got in your heart to know that God has answered your prayer and times 35 times 4, that shows a greater multiplication of that work of God in your child's heart. You can make a difference only if you first choose to serve the Lord. We can make a difference. We can pray for this community to come to know Christ. We talked about the chocolate festival. You said, well, how silly. It's, listen. Some people, they're, they're, they're natural-minded. There's no spiritual life. They've never been quickened by the Holy Spirit. They need to be born again from above. And if, if, if we can invite them to come to a fellowship, then we've invited them to, to sit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this is the surprise. That's the thing that they'll come to church and hear a message of the gospel of peace and the gospel of salvation. And then they will cry out and receive the Lord as Savior and then enjoy a chocolate festival like they've never had before because it is all about people being birthed into the kingdom of God. And when we begin to pray that God would use us as vessels, as conduit to reach people for Jesus, it is then that we can rock our world for Christ. What the church needs now are born-again believers who utilize this thing called prayer to bring our children back home and bring our grandchildren to know the Lord that we know and to bring them into a vital relationship with him and that they might look at us and, and see that we're serious about our praise for God. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I am not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. But I know one who is perfect. <laughs> I know one who washes away our sin. When we falter, get up off your feet and trust the one to forgive you. Don't wallow in your past. Don't wallow in your sin. Claim the blood of Jesus and thank God for the forgiveness and the cleansing and the empowerment and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, fill us with your power. God, do a work in us like you've never done before. This past Friday, we had a homegoing of a wonderful saint of God, Barb Lewis, great saint. We had a beautiful service as so we honored her. And I had the joy and the honor of sharing the gospel. And I had three or four people talk to me afterwards. And I had one man said, I've never heard of that before. But I want you to know, preacher, I prayed that prayer. And I asked God to come in my heart. And he looked at me and he said, do you think God saved me? I said, let me tell you something. If you prayed it and you trusted him, 
believe him because his word is good. That man smiled. I embraced him and said, welcome to the family of God. I thought later on, in fact, Tammy, Barb's daughter, wrote me a letter, and she said someone she knew that was dear to her prayed and received the Lord as her Savior. You know, people need to hear the greatest news. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to walk in a dark world that's confused, that's lost its way. But we need to pray. I need to pray for my kids, my grandkids. And I want God to use me. And if I want my family, if I want my family to walk with God, then I must choose myself to walk first with him. I must choose to pray for my kids four or five times a day that God would have them walk close with him. And when I'm dead and I'm on the other side of heaven, I want to be able to look over the portals of heaven and see every one of my children walking in the ways of the Lord, praising God, and watching God deliver my children out of the mouth of the devil, bringing them into the, the power of God's great son. We need Jesus. How can you have a great family? If you have young children, let them see it now. Let them see it now. If your children are grown, get to praying. Don't you dare go out of here and say, it's too late now. It's never too late. Never too late. Pray. Pray. Pray like you never prayed. And stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord work in your child's life and your grandchildren. And wouldn't it be great before you leave this world to see your whole family walking and loving the Lord? It can happen. It can happen. And it will happen if we do like Joshua. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let's pray. If you're here, men, I want to speak to you first. I want to pray for my family. I want to pray for your family. Will you pray for your family? I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. I want all the men, I want you to come stand right by me. If you're a man and you're concerned about your family, would you come and stand with me?